heavy lift. People are strange when you're a stranger. Faces look ugly when you're alone. Women seem wicked when you're unwanted. Streets are uneven when you're down. When you're strange. Hello, my name is Tom Chick. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast, where this week we will be talking about. The Social Network. Or is it just Social Network, Kelly Warren? Do you know? Uh, don't spoil. Okay. Uh, I am... That's uh, good, Val Kilmer. Let me get there. All right. Uh, that was uh, Kelly Wand. We'll get to him in a second. We are also joined this week by Christian... McGrosky? Uh, Christian McGrosky. Uh, well, Christian's spelled the usual way, but my last name's the same as my brother's. Ah, oh, I knew he was going to do that. And also, Kelly Wand, do you have a tagline for us this week? Yeah, uh, I have one that doesn't have to do with the movie. I just want to say it's, there's an election in two days, and I never thought I'd live to see the day when we had a black president trying to take away my legal weed. Okay, good. A little political tagline. That's good. And, uh, stirs things I want up. to start an herbal tea party movement. Is <laughs> that all right. My catchphrase uh, to the movie is, the book was better. Thank you. All right. Uh, Dingus, why don't you give us, why don't you give us like a boring summation of the movie? What is this movie we're about to talk about? The Social Network is a 2010 drama film about the founding of the Internet social networking website, Facebook. You don't have to be that boring. Oh, sorry. No, let him do um, it. He's doing fine. Okay. It's, it's a drama film. I just want everybody to know it's a drama film. It's kind of a biopic. Uh, it's directed by David Fincher, written by one Aaron Sorkin. Um, and, it, you know, I don't really have to do a lot here. It's, it's, uh, it's, based about, it's basically about uh, the founding. Of, it's not really so much about the founding of Facebook as it is about the, um, the intellectual rights of the founding of Facebook and the now um, it's boring. Now it's boring. I'm working on that. So that's it. So Kelly, I blame Tom's interruption on. Can Can you spice that up, Kelly Wand? Why don't you Why don't you break down a little bit more for us? What exactly happens in this movie? Make it interesting. Right. Do Do what uh, Dickus couldn't do. But with Sorkin, I'll Sorkinize what Dinkus did. Okay. Sorkin me. Give me some. Hit me with some Sorkin. Yeah, uh, this movie. I don't know why. It sounded boring because it's a movie that taps into our primal fascination with courtroom cases about software apps. <laughs> okay, now for the plot. Um, that's the blurb for the newspaper ad. Okay, so Michael Sarah plays this Harvard nerd <laughs> named uh, Mark Eisenberg who has this super hot girlfriend named Rooney Mara. I don't know the actress's name. Um, but she keeps adding S's to words like Tom does to movie titles. So he breaks up with her and goes back to his dorm and gets back at her and her stupid S's by blogging that she has a nice face and sexy bras. And he wants to make a website that's like that reality show Are You Hot with Lorenzo Lamas. Wait, Lorenzo Lamas? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I don't speak French, I guess. But you kiss that way. Right. Uh, so far ahead of me. 
Um, but anyway, he needs his friend Eduardo to write some math on their window for him to hack into the Harvard supercomputer to achieve this dream. So these blonde rowing twins read about him getting in trouble with the Harvard authorities for hacking the system, so they hire him to make a website that's exactly like Facebook, except that only blonde rowing twins will get to use it. So he steals the part about blonde rowing twins, so they go complain to the president of Harvard, but he tells them they need to quit being pussies and go hack into Harvard systems themselves. And then his urban secretary goes... Mm-hmm. <laughs> so based on all these legal troubles, uh, Eduardo nobly bankrolls Michael Sarah's new project, except that he adds a the to the name, just like Tom does with movie titles. <laughs> and uh, to help the project, Eduardo takes an internship in New York while Michael Sarah moves to California across the street from Justin Timberlake, who founded The Napsters. <laughs> which Michael Sarah doesn't know until his chimney breaks. So then uh, Eduardo finds Justin to be devious and annoying, but Michael Sarah likes him because Justin lets him go in his bathrobe to Justin's old bosses and expose himself, which Eduardo is too square to make him do, and also because uh, Justin's sleeping with the blonde 15-year-old intern that Sarah covets and also because he does blow. So Michael Sarah tells Eduardo to come back out to sign some papers, but the papers turn out to be evil. But Michael Sarah tells Eduardo it's his own fault for trusting him and for trusting paper. And then uh, Justin twists the knife by giving Eduardo a check for 18 grand. But Eduardo gets him back by reading in the paper the next day about Justin getting busted for cocaine possession on his hand which Justin uh, wriggles out of by testifying that the cops planted his hand in the underage girl. And Michael Sarah hits on Karen from the office by promising to blog that she's a natural C cup if they ever break up, but she prefers salad. And she lets him down easy by telling him he's going to lose his case because juries don't like unsympathetic characters, only millions of moviegoers. So to get over, Michael Sarah sends a friend request to that crazy woman from Catfish, and he keeps hitting refresh screen over and over instead of just inventing an app that automatically refreshes the screen. <laughs> or better yet, uh, doing a movie podcast with a couple of queers. And then some on-screen uh, Where Are They Now text crawls uh, inform us that Paula Matt got killed by the drunk driver, and Suzanne Summers is in the T-bird that Michael Sarah's looking at from the plane. Wow, that was pretty obscure, uh, an obscure finish there, Kelly Wand. So Andrew Garfield should play Dingus for the quarter-to-three biopic, and Tom's <laughs> Justin Timberlake. <laughs> Who's playing you, Kelly Wand? Uh, Rooney Mara. <laughs> now she's the next the like she's in the American like girl who got the dragon hornet fire kicking tattoo right she's uh in the mythology the fiction of the movie because the movie is heavily fictionalized apparently from what I looked up what no, uh, okay yeah no no, no the, the girl with the dragon tattoo is a real story <laughs> she didn't catch fire that's not possible <laughs> But that's our, that's our glimpse of this actress who's about to be, I presume this is going to be really big for her, 
when when Fincher does these Swedish are these Swedish these Swedish mystery novel things, uh, right? Because that, that those remakes have gone well so far. Are you being facetious? Have they not gone well? Well, the the remakes of Swedish. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. I, th- I was thinking of the sequels to Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, yeah. All right, so so much for... Let's let's not get too sidetracked there. Let's talk about The Social Network. Uh, all right, Kelly Wand, well played, well done. Um, now, I saw this a couple months ago, so I don't remember a lot about it, so you guys are going to have to do a lot of the heavy lifting. Are you ready? Mm. Let's Go. see what you have. <laughs> I, well, here's the thing. I saw it a few months ago. Uh, I appreciated it. I enjoyed it. it. It felt much more like an Aaron Sorkin movie than a David Fincher movie to me. That, that, that's fine. Uh, but I have to say it didn't make that much of an impression on me. I, I, I felt like it, it lacked a clear point of view. Uh, it, it just felt like a, not even a courtroom drama so much as a legal wrangling drama. Uh and while I liked it and I appreciated it, it just kind of in one ear out the other. It didn't. It. it I really, really like um, Jesse Eisenberg. I adore Andrew Garfield. It was great to see them uh, a movie centered around them. Um, but uh, I just, I, I just kind of shrugged and was like, yeah, that was good. That was fine. That's because it's about Facebook, and no matter how good the writing is, and there's a lot of really good lines in the movie, uh-huh. so it tricked me a lot because the script's great, and that opening scene's awesome. The opening scene is great, and that that's a that's that right it's there is objectively awesome. Yeah, but I disagree <laughs> with you, Kelly Wan, that it's about Facebook. I, I mean, I think it's it's trying more to be about the relationship between these guys. Uh, Facebook uh, is, is kind of the MacGuffin, and yes, I. We think- don't even know why he does what he does. Like, he invites Garfield out, goes, yeah, man, hey, we did it. And he's being nice to him on the phone, and then the next time he screws him. Like, I didn't understand that. I found that we never get into that character's head, so I don't know if it's it's not even good as a biopic. That's kind of why I say it lacks a point of view, I, I feel. Yeah. Uh, so, so, Dingus, all right, so where, where do you fall in this, Dingus? How did this work for you? Uh, one of the most useful things, um, I really appreciate actually the fact that you, that your observation is that this is more of an Aaron Sorkin film than a David Fincher film because I think that's right on the money, and I'm I'm happy that you said this to me uh, a couple of weeks ago actually because in our sort of back and forth you you had already seen it and I my typical question is do I need to bother and your answer was yeah you should see it but keep in mind it's an Aaron Sorkin film, and and you and you said pretty much the same thing <laughs> you just said right now, and that's the, and that's that's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is great for me because I'm a huge Aaron Sorkin fan, uh, and I'm also a, a big David Fincher fan, but I I've started to trust him less and less. Uh, so I was I was excited to see this um, because I love Aaron Sorkin so much, and. Uh, in going to see this, I, I had much the same reaction that you described, Tom. That sort of, meh. It was fine. It was useful, but in and out. And and so what I what I started to do was what what Kelly Wan just said is 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 basically say, well, uh, th- there are a number of moments in this film where Aaron Sorkin is is showing that he's longing for his West Wing days, and so this <laughs> this is about. This doesn't work for me because Facebook isn't important, but the White House is. Mm-hmm. 
And that that was useful <laughs> for me for a certain amount of time until I looked at my DVD collection and saw the title Sports Night, which is one of my favorite television shows. And it's an Aaron Sorkin show about developing an ESPN show called Sports Center. And that's not of great import, but it is hugely effective. And so what I had to do was sort of wrestle with, well, why is that effective? And this just sort of feels like a meandering and without point of view. And so I wind up at the same place where you are and kind of wondering why. Dingus, let me ask you. I, I don't know Sports Night, but... Uh, I do. I have a question, too, to ask Dingus. Well, I'm curious, then, about when you say that, are are perhaps the characters in Sports Night more sympathetic or, or more sort of open about themselves and their motivations? Are they perkier? Yeah. Is, is it maybe... The... It's also... They all speak the same way, and if you read a random Sports Night line, it could have been said by any of the characters. Like, they're all witty in exactly the same sense. So there's... That's what uh, this movie is to me, too. But, mm-hmm. like, everyone's exactly... They're all at the same pitch. Now, is that a well, criticism, Kelly Wand, or do, do you feel that that's a weakness, or what, mm-hmm. why do you point that out? It's a weakness, but it's one I don't mind, because you're getting so many good lines per capita that the writer and me go, well, you know, it's, it's you're drinking uh, one brand of beer, but it's really... It gets you really uh, wasted. <laughs> now, did you feel that way about The Social Network? Yeah, but I was really wasted. So. <laughs> I liked a lot of it. I liked individual scenes. I liked how they played out. I liked, I liked what people were saying. But it, you know, it's it's like the only way they could have made it, it could trick me into enjoying a movie about Facebook was the way they did it. Well, it bugs me because it's still a biopic. It's still. I mean, does accuracy matter at all for biopics? If, Oh, that's a big question. Before we get into that can of worms, though, I still want to explore why social network doesn't work maybe as well as as this sports night thing that, that Dingus is talking about. Uh, and, and part of what I wonder is, is it because smug, intellectual, self-made billionaires, you know, this sort of like post-dot-com William Randolph Hearst story, you know, this post-dot-com Citizen Kane, are, are, the, are, are these people... Is it like I don't I don't really like none of us is really into Facebook, so there's not really that hook. But then these characters, these kind of people, I don't think are as warm or personable as maybe the kind of people you have who have who get hired to do a sports show. You know, how much of the fault is that's just what a story about these characters is going to be like? How much of that is what's going on in social network for us? Well, I like unlikable douchebag characters, okay. and I like learning about billionaires. I just I, it's it's annoying to me to learn to like read up on stuff and and find out that Zuckerberg was he's with the same girl he was that he met as a sophomore. Harvard. Okay, well let's table that because I do want to talk about that. But uh, so so there's that issue kind of separately. But uh, so so Kelly Wan, you enjoy reading about billionaires and and you enjoy no. movies about. You said you like learning about billionaires, and you're okay with unsympathetic characters. Um, I love unsympathetic characters. I cherish them. They're always interesting. They always say and do interesting things. I mostly agree. Good. Now, now, Dingus, do you think that's part of what's going on here? Is that like the people in Sports Night, these charismatic, uh, friendly people who host a sports show, uh, do you think that's part of what's going on? Is that they're going to be inherently more appealing than snotty asshole billionaires? No, not at all. Okay. Because uh, the guys the guys from Sports Night and you have to understand that Sports Night is is basically 
patterned around uh, the guys who created SportsCenter, the most popular guys at that time, uh, Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann. And you're not going to get much more Keith Olbermann? Yeah, you're not going to get much more snooty or pompous than Keith Olbermann. That's where he's from? Holy cats. Absolutely. And so Sports Night is, is... patterned around the, those, those guys and the, and the banter they created, but it's not it's not slavish. And with as much has been said about how the social network plays fast and loose with the facts, it still feels like it's it's going by the numbers. If you if you ignore all the all the news stories or the PR stories about how much the social network uh, makes up stuff, it feels like it's painting. By the numbers, it feels like it's it's doing a transcript. And when you watch something, as far as I'm concerned, like Sports Night, it feels much more free. Even though these guys are pompous and they're uh, they're they're rich men, or they're they're working toward being rich men, and they're popular and they can get all kinds of women. They're insecure in a different way, and there's a freedom there that it feels like the writer is working within and it doesn't feel like the social network for me mm-hmm. has any of that freedom uh there's a lot of locked in moments as as far as these little gotcha moments across the desk that Aaron Sorkin loves to do that feel a lot more rote and hammered in as opposed to the way uh, the the moments in Sports Night and even even the moments in West Wing which which can feel pretty rote but I'm willing to forgive in a television series in in a way that I, I for for some reason I'm not willing to forgive in a movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so I, I don't think that it's that it's merely about who the character is, but rather the feeling that the writer has a freedom to develop that character. What what was was the Social Network based on any pre-existing material? Like it, it, I know yeah. I'm pretty sure this the was, accidental billionaires. But it, isn't yeah, it by the way? The source of that was the Garfield character. But that's what I was going to say. Is, is, isn't it the, the source material is inherently sympathetic to Eduardo, what's his last name? Savarian? Anyway. Eduardo <laughs> uh, Anyway, Andrew Garfield's character, we'll call him. Uh, so, so, now, Kelly Wan, you mentioned the, the veracity of it. Like, do you feel that hurts the, like, I'm, I'm going to sit here and say, as I normally do, source material doesn't matter. All that matters uh, is, is it in an, a biopic? All that matters is, is it an interesting narrative? Uh, That's what Sorkin says. He goes, what's the big deal about accuracy purely for accuracy's sake, and can we not have the true be the enemy of the good? That's I, his defense. Good. I'm so gonna, same thing Oliver Stone said after JFK. Okay, I'm going to get that as a personalized license plate for my car. <laughs> that all. I, I agree with it that much. So, Kelly Wan, this, this does bother you. So, so let's hear you hear, let's hear you champion the flip side of that argument then. What bothers you about how social network plays fast and loose with the truth in order to be more interesting or good, as Sorkin would say? Because this stuff just happened and these people are still alive. And I get, I think I and other people, if I just see the movie, will believe what I believe that it all happened like that. Mm-hmm. And then I look stuff up, and he never friended that Erica Albright chick, and she has her own website, and she says lol a lot, so maybe she's not quite as... Uh, 
awesome as she is in that opening scene, which was kind of a bummer to me personally, but maybe a little. Um, but well, now it sounds like Kelly Wanda. If you're expecting, if you're expecting a movie to inform you rather than entertain you, I would agree with that. But I think your mistake is going into a movie expecting it to be informative rather than for the priority to be that it's informative or educational rather than entertaining. But what if the what if the information's more entertaining than the entertaining? Well, I think you need to leave that to David Fincher to decide. And if you feel that it doesn't work, then that that's one thing, but I don't think you can blame it because it's not uh accurate. Like I think if you say it's not entertaining, that's one thing, but but to say it's not accurate and therefore it's less entertaining, I would disagree with. Well, for you, for me, it is less entertaining to find okay. that out. I can't appreciate it on the same level, okay. and I won't. I won't. You don't have these problems in a purely fictionalized account. Well, see, the thing is, like, I one of the one of the few things. That, go ahead. No, no. Well, I was going to say one of the few things I, I kind of appreciated here was this this character arc from. Uh, the conver- and this was apparently all fictionalized, and that's fine with me, from this conversation with a girl at BU that he kind of likes, but he's closed off and he's not really in touch with his feelings and he's an asshole. From this conversation to him sitting alone in uh, this little uh, conference room uh, after going through, you know, losing friends and betraying people and after going through all this and just hitting F5 to see if she'll be his friend again. Like, I think that's an, an interesting character arc. Right there, uh, much more so than what's actually probably going on with Mark Zuckerberg, which, by the way, we don't know. I mean, this guy's life story is nowhere near to being finished. It's not like Citizen Kane, where you can see the whole spread of his life. I mean, it's fairly early to be getting too much of an arc out of this guy's life, I think. So to fictionalize this little arc here, I think, uh, is an important thing that Sorkin and Fincher bring to the story, that if they were more slavishly faithful to, to the source material, we would lose and I, I just think that but then it should just be completely fake. It's a fake Facebook in a fake universe. Well, that's one take, but I think also okay. But I, I think also folks need to to let loose of this idea that movies show things as they really are. I, I mean, I think that's just an unrealistic expectation. But if it was you, if you were if you were Mark Zuckerberg, mm-hmm. and you were kind of and you you invented this. Okay, I hate Facebook, you hate Facebook. Let's pretend we don't hate Facebook, just for the purposes of this hypothetical situation. Okay. You make this thing, and the reason you make it, you've gone on record as saying, is like the reason you made Facebook was because you wanted people to connect with each other. Uh And the movies made about your life, where you're kind of like about the lucre, and you fall into the sway of a a fast-talking charlatan guy. Right, right. And you're always looking for the bottom line, and you screw your friend over. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, wouldn't that be annoying? It would. It would. But but a movie maker be an annoyed billionaire. I, exactly. But the movie maker's <laughs> obligation is not to the billionaire, and it's not right. to the source material. It's to the audience. It's to telling an interesting story. I know uh, what you're saying, and I, I don't disagree with you. But it's I don't know. Are you are you really Mark Zuckerberg? Is that what's going on here? And this is your your nom de plume. I just think I bet he's more interesting. <laughs> I don't know. There's like a couple of episodes, like all the president's men. I think uh-huh. that's that fictionalizes a lot, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But I kind of like it because it was just about procedure, really. Right. And uh, well, and and, and, and United nine eleven, whatever that was called. United ninety three. Uh, well, United. I, I, Citizen Kane is a big one. I mean, that's obviously about William Randolph right. Hearst, but he's never, you know, he's given a fake name, and I don't think they mention any of the uh, like that's exactly. He's given a fake name, though. Right. That's still totally different from what's going on here. 
So, for instance, you would like Citizen Kane less if the character were named William Randolph. Yes. <laughs> hey, Hurston never sled. He grew up in uh, Florida. So because his name is Charles Foster Kane, that makes all the difference to you. You got it. Then you, then, hey, it's an alternate reality. Anything's possible. All right. Dingus, you got to vote. Here we're seeing looking at Facebook logos mm-hmm. on water, on vending machines. Mm-hmm. Does, his, does his card actually say, I'm CEO, bitch? Is that based on a real thing? Tom, you know the realities. I, no, I don't. But I'm assuming, based on, again, the character arc, and I, I don't, I, I probably shouldn't draw any real-world information about this, but I'm assuming that the fact that he opens his business cards after this guy has been arrested for having coke and cavorting with, uh, I don't know if they were underage, but cavorting with youngsters, I'm presuming that that right there, he, he lets, like, like the, the cards are kind of ironic at that point. It's an ironic narrative device, and he doesn't actually use the cards. I'm imagining they get bent right after that scene uh, I don't know so that's you you read so much into nothing <laughs> you think that after all that he actually runs around and uses the I'm CEO bitch cards um, I bet he doesn't bend them. We don't see that. <laughs> You're totally extrapolating it from nothing and just like you've extrapolated that the baby in paranormal activity 2 dies. Okay, let's let's not go there because we might be there might be people yeah, who haven't seen it. Uh, don't worry, I've spoiled nothing. <laughs> that's the beauty of what Tom said. Spoiler alert. Dingus, get in here, fix this, address Kelly's yeah. issue. Uh, the, the problems. What I what I actually came to is that none of what none of what uh, with all due respect to the two of you, <laughs> the two of you have bandied about back and forth really matters to me whether or not this is an actual biopic or it's not or it's his real name or it's not his real name those things dissolve for me when i look at the elements of of filmmaking and the scenes that fall apart for me and um i i think that in the end there's there's too much benjamin button and forrest gump in this film and not and not enough my favorite biopics i'm sorry and 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 not enough uh, Sports Night and West Wing in it. And I looked at, I tried to look at a couple of other Aaron Sorkin uh, films uh, this week, and I couldn't really watch them. Uh, I, I didn't have enough time to really watch. What were the other ones? What did you try? I tried to watch uh, the American President. It's really hard uh, to watch. That's Sorkin. Oh yeah. That, um, really. And and luckily I was saved by the fact that I own a lot of West Wing and I love I can I can I cannot get tired of watching the West Wing I could watch that over and over again it is so well written even the weird little artificial moments that are glaring in a film like this I, I can gloss over in in a television series because it moves so fast and they have such a luxury because they know they've got 13 more episodes and they can pack so much in uh, and I try, and I tried to watch a little bit of, of Malice because I really wanted to to get to the uh, the God scene, and I didn't get to it. Um, but uh, I don't know that his his films work as well as his television. And I and and so I have to go back to the filmmaker. And I think he sort of. I, I, I uh, what I'm trying to say is that whether or not this is a biopic is is immaterial to me. Is that from a filmmaking point of view, I think it starts to fall apart. Where it, it's interesting, but but I think there are a lot of scenes that that. I, I kind of think, uh, that this feels artificial to me. Well, it obviously isn't the first scene, because I think we all yeah. love that. So where does it start to fall apart, Dingus? Well, yeah, I, I really did like the first scene a, a great deal. And um, By the way, give us a line from it. <laughs> you're going to think it's because you're an asshole. 
<laughs> okay, good. You're right. Uh, I don't like right. just doing lines said by that hot actress. It's confusing. That's right, because she's playing you. Because now he's like, right. time is time is folding in upon itself. Yeah, I don't like Dingus playing me. It's too confusing. So given okay, given that it has a strong opening, where does she's it start to dick. where does it start to unravel? Um. Here, here's, here's a here's a specific moment. Mm-hmm. Well, not not necessarily. Although I think that the is it Sean Parker is that the character Justin Timberlake is playing? Correct. Uh-huh. I think that that character feels wholly uh, dramatic and ridiculous, uh, but that's that's fine. I, I really like Justin Timberlake in this actually. Um, but but just and and I heard you both groan when I mentioned Forrest Gump. But the Forrest Gump moment for me is when when the guy comes into the room to ask him for advice on how to get a girl, and and the the line comes around that people don't go around wearing a sign on them that says uh and then he has to run and invent, you know, whether or not we are in a relationship or not. It really feels like one of those Forrest Gump moments where everything that was ever invented was because some guy jogging next to you and you rubbed your face and there's a smiley face on it. <laughs> yeah. And, and from the, um, he's the Messiah. Well, there is a lot of that sort of feel to it that, that all these things fell into place and it fell into place in this specific little period of time. And we have these two guys who are one year olds or being generous were one year olds when the karate kid were made, but they're going to still make references to the karate kid. Isn't that cute? Uh, there, there are so many little moments like this in, from Benjamin Button's point of view, Benjamin Button to me is a, is a wholly animated film and, and you've got these, these moments, and this is purely technical, and this is totally nitpicking, but this is what makes my mind perk up when they're outside out after the or during the Caribbean party, and the breath coming out of them, oh. out of their mouth and their nose is clearly CG'd. Oh. And it's, it's just David Fincher going, "Well, I learned all this on Benjamin Button, so I'm going to use it here." These these things don't work for me, and they distract me from the film. And so there were there were a lot of these moments, including the the moments when um, when Mark has that clever little repartee with the lawyer when he's am I giving you am I giving your your condescending question enough attention, which feels like just the writer just doing his writerly work and doesn't really feel like real dialogue, even though I thrill to it. I will accept that in certain I, I will accept those thrilling moments in West Wing, but I I just didn't feel like these people talk like that here and 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 little moments like the breath little moments like the guy sitting on the desk asking mark zuckerberg of all people for advice on how to get a girl (laughs) maybe it's Uh, because they're kids and like on west wing they're all grown adults with lots of years of public speaking communications backgrounds but in this they're like nerdy kids it's it's not that it's that i don't think this writer and director mesh yeah Hmm. Did they ever work together before? No. Well, no, Aaron Sorkin wrote uh, the third Alien movie. Oh, Not many people know that. <laughs> I forgot to look at that. Yeah. I, said, I, just, you know, I made a mistake. What I often do at the beginning of these weeks is start to load up my queue and, and look at the director's films, and so I got Zodiac here and was watching that. Now, who wrote Zodiac, by the way? Who wrote that for him? Oh, gosh, I don't know that. Oh, okay. That's that. I apologize. But uh, but I started doing that, and then I remembered what you said, Tom, about this being more of an Aaron Sorkin film, and 
And while watching Zodiac is a very pleasurable experience, it doesn't doesn't really inform um, this the experience of watching The Social Network yeah. as it's much James as watching The West Wing does. And who is James Vanderbilt, Kelly Wand? He wrote The Losers <laughs> and The Rundown <laughs> and the upcoming Spider-Man reboot with Andrew Garfield. Now, as now, now isn't Zodiac, though, based on a book? Or is it just generally yeah. the Zodiac? Okay, so so it, it's from a novel, then. Uh, okay. Um, but so, Zodiac's a good biopic, too. Damn it. I hate that it, there's biopics I like. Really well, the thing, like, like listening to Dingus talk about the meshing with the, the, the director and the writer, I think is pretty important, because there's one moment, I'm sure you guys will know what I'm talking about, where I felt like, oh, now I'm watching a David Fincher film, and it was really awesome, and it was great, and it just felt completely out of place, and as far as I could tell, had nothing whatsoever to do with anything that preceded it or followed it, and that's the regatta race, uh, just because we happen to be in London, where the, the, the Winklevoss twins are going to find out that Facebook has, has jumped the the Atlantic, you, you know, they, it's like David Fincher gets maybe what, three minutes to play with this regatta scene, which was was fantastic. I mean, I was like, wow, yeah, now I'm watching the David Fincher movie, mm-hmm. but it's like a commercial break more than anything else. It's a music video. Yeah, it's, and he just. I like there. the I like the idea that one of the brothers didn't want to do didn't want to sue him because he they were gentlemen of Harvard. Well, I actually found those. Is that based on something? No, no, I like those guys. I like those guys quite a bit too, and I—that's I, yeah. one of the things I respected about the, the script is that they weren't just, you know, convinced. No, they were. They—they they were thoughtful characters. They—they—they they were, they were two distinct characters. Yeah, they uh, I liked how the story sort of evolved through them. You know, what are we going to do? Are we going to do anything? I—I uh, I, I really enjoyed their story being part of what was what was going on. Uh, so, yeah, those guys were great. Uh, There's one guy playing two guys, Tom. A little Benjamin Button for you. Mm, I I might almost believe you, but I'm pretty sure I don't. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, because with that frozen, with that, uh, like, freezing breath CG being so bad, I can't imagine that uh, they had... The actor was... Yeah, I can't imagine they could CG a whole uh, one actor into two different actors. That freezing breath, I'm glad you mentioned that, Dingus, because I think we have come to the limitations of what we can do in CG. And I think freezing breath, we just don't have the technology for that yet. Uh, that looked awful. We have the technology to fool filmmakers, apparently, but you're not fooling us. And <laughs> and even if even if somebody else sitting there isn't going to say, that breath looks weird, they're still going to get this weird feeling. I just... I can't accept that kind of a thing and so cut it out you don't have to do it if the if the guys are out there shivering i don't care if their breath looks like it's got steam yeah. have the actors do some shivering actors can do that <laughs> yeah and there's no way she's a b cup <sighs> wow okay kelly one <laughs> is, that, is that a line from the movie by the way that's some pretty serious cg there <laughs> those look like bees uh, Dingus, so you're a big uh, Justin Timberlake fan, huh? Uh, I I am actually. Uh, How much gayer can you guys be with Tom and his Paul Walker, Dingus with his beloved Justin? <laughs> I think he's really good in this. I, I say dreaming. The, I can't stand the character, and it's not that I don't. You know, one of the things that that. Um, a few of my friends said to me, and, and, and other people, I've heard other people say this, and, and I've heard this secondhand from, 
from my wife, who other people said to her, was that the, the characters are so unlikable. It's, it's, it's an okay movie, but it's really distracting because the characters are so unlikable. And that's, it just, it's never an obstacle for me. It just, it, right. I don't understand that objection. If, if the characters are well designed and well right. built, it doesn't matter to me. I, I don't understand. I just don't, that doesn't compute. Yeah. I think it's an odd complaint here because I don't think Andrew Garfield is unlikable. I mean, I think Andrew no. Garfield's character and his perspective into the movie, and because the story is so sympathetic to him, I mean, it seems like he would be an anchor for people who have that problem, that I need a sympathetic character. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and he kind of wins, in a way, yeah. off screen. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, it's he's sort of... dignity. Kind of, but he's betrayed. I mean, he's the dupe. And actually, it makes me... I, this Spider-Man movie can't come along soon enough because Andrew Garfield, he, he's making a career out of taking roles of people who are screwed over by the system. You know, there was Boy A, if you've seen him in the, the Red Riding trilogy. Uh, I think even in Imaginarium, doesn't he... He's kind of... He, he yeah. Kind of misses out. Like, he's the loser in the Imaginarium of Dr. He doesn't Cassidy. get uh, the hot redhead. He yeah. loses out to three different actors playing... <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. A fourth actor who's dead, and he's still losing. He's so I, to a dead... I'm about ready for him to, to prevail and, and be in a Spider-Man movie. Uh, he's too handsome for Spider-Man, though. He's, If I may, Justin Timberlake and Paul Walker things up a little on my end. <laughs> Do you really think... is, uh, Go ahead. Let, let's hear you wax poetic about how handsome Andrew Garfield is. Go ahead, Kelly. He has cute hair, to paraphrase uh, Aomer from last week's movie. <laughs> Peter Parker doesn't have that kind of hair, but he'll be better than Tobey Maguire. That was a horrible casting choice. Kelly One, have you seen Red Riding? That that British. No, I don't see movies with the word "red" in the title as of last week. <laughs> Two weeks ago, but okay. Oh. Uh, all right. Uh, ago. Wait, what's Red Riding? Red White. <laughs> red Riding is. It's just, it's a I think it's just one novel, but it was made into a, a trilogy for I presume it's yeah British TV their their channel BBC's Channel Four I think uh, about a series of crimes in Northern England. It's basically about corruption in Northern England. It's almost like The Wire, uh, and I'm going to say this as if I've seen The Wire, which I haven't. But it's almost uh. like The Wire, but set in Northern England. Uh, and it's three different movies with a sort of recurring cast uh, throughout each of the movies. Uh, but Andrew Garfield is featured pretty prominently, and, and he's great, once again, as somebody that's screwed over by the system. Um, What's the Wire guy's name? Ed Norton, right? That's Wait, the whole you're thinking of. Why is Facebook so much bigger deal than Friendster MySpace? Like, that's not even... In the movie covered, is it? Well, because I don't think the, I really don't think the movie was about Facebook. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of. Go ahead. Well, the, okay. Well, I just isn't Facebook the one that made him the youngest billionaire, and then the other two things didn't make anybody billionaires? Like that dude who's on MySpace that he's your friend, the goofy the goofy guy, Rick or whatever. <laughs> that guy's not a billionaire, is he? Where's his biopic? Well, the, well those those where's the sky questions. I think those questions are slightly incidental. I mean, as incidental as, you know, why certain math equations in Apollo 13 didn't work out and other ones did. I think they they sort of cover that and say, well, that didn't work because of this, and we're going to try this and that. And I I think this film is trying to be more of a human drama with that as as an underlayer and not not make a a technical idea of, of why this one passed and the other ones didn't. 
Hmm. All right. I guess I thought more about it because I just think Facebook's retarded and it's making everyone more retarded. So the movie I saw is, here's the man who figured out everyone's retarded and you can exploit that way more than anyone thought. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, dis- I disagree. And, and I'm going to disagree the same way I disagreed on, on our Catfish podcast because I think we had a, a similar uh, – a similar disagreement is that I think Facebook is useful for reasons that you are, are dismissive of. And I think it gives, it, it gives people a connection that they otherwise would not be able to have. And it gives them a sense of hope. And it gives them also a, a chance to reconnect and to have passion in their lives that they haven't had in a while. And I think that what this film does and how it succeeds is in that first scene is that the the germ of the creation of Facebook seems to be passion. It's passionate. It's it's him, even if that's evil, him wanting to get back at somebody, him wanting to, to you know you know, him talking about farm animals, yeah that was a mistake, but this hot or not thing came out of uh, uh, the or or mash up or whatever the the face mash thing was came out of, of him feeling dumped and wanting to get back and feeling an emotion about something. And I think it is useful on that level. That, and, and but that's fiction. That you're you're referring to fiction is why how fa- why Facebook is great. Okay, you can really go through that. So you can't apply it to real. But well, whether or not I'm I'm referring to fiction, it, my base argument about or base is probably the wrong way to put this. But, the, but my foundational argument is that that this is why Facebook is important to people because it allows them to connect to people. And, and I don't think that is, I'm not going to dim- dismiss it the way you do. Also, Kelly Wand, Farmville. Hello. <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, there's actually, I think there's a point in the movie where they kind of, am I not mistaken where they kind of say Facebook is basically about people trying to get laid or am I just thinking of Louis CK? <laughs> Isn't that in the movie? Uh, maybe not. not. Alright. I've never gotten laid off Facebook, have you? Uh, Dingus, I, I think aimed at you. <laughs> I wouldn't call it laid. I'd call it anal, but I wouldn't call it laid. One, two, three, not only you and me, got one eighty to three, I'm going between them. One, two, three, eat a pun, Wow. Kelly Wands, our social network savior. So yeah. be sure to friend mm. Kelly Wand on Facebook. Be sure to enemy me. <laughs> uh, all right, Kelly Wands, uh, what is our uh, three by three this week? What do you got for us? All right, I know this one's kind of lame, but I have a really good one three weeks from now. So don't listen to this one. Just skip ahead three weeks in time. <laughs> Go into the future and listen to that one. Is that what you wanted to know? Is that the question? Yeah, especially when I'm going to come up with. Exactly. When when do we finally get a good three by three from Kelly? The Wong? next one. No, you've great. done you've done some good ones. Uh, I'm quite happy with some of them. These this days. one's just the friendster to the Facebook. I'm going to unveil three weeks from now. On and what, what made you explain it? Go ahead and introduce it. Still, nobody knows what it is. Why don't you explain it and, and tell us why you picked this? <laughs> Or we'll wait till you do yours. We'll wait till you do your number three, then you can explain why you picked it. But I thought it'd be fun. Okay, there you go. And what is it? What is the topic? Three sequels better than the original movie. Ugh, it does sound lame. 
All right. Mine are the all problem was you didn't say Can which I original it? movie. What? You didn't say which original movie. Basket Case 2 is not as good as Basket Case 2. Right. I can't believe you did that. <laughs> Do you remember what happened? <laughs> I have now knocked us out of sync. So the podcast It was worth it. <laughs> we don't care what happens after this. Point. <laughs> All right, what is your number three sequel that's better than the original movie that, that is unspecified by Kelly Wand? I have to go first, really. <laughs> you do. I don't understand Zendingus' question. <laughs> better than the original what? You said Which uh, original? sequels that were better than the original movie, and I didn't. Uh, it was oh, dumb, you're, oh I get it. uh, it's an Adam and Eve joke. Exactly. Ah, uh, clever. Clever girl. <laughs> Back to Dingus. Thank you. Uh, all right. So number three. Here's the quote from it. Are you guys ready? Awesome. These are pets, of course. Not quite domesticated. Gremlins 2, the new batch. Jurassic Park 2. No, and the new no. Batch. Electric Boogaloo. These are pets, of course. Not quite domestic. Something about wild. Beethoven's fifth. Are you sure, Dingus? Are you positive it's not Jurassic Park 2? Wait, Let's hold on. Before, uh, no, it's not Jurassic Park 2. Okay. Baby Geniuses 2, because babies are pets. Whatever it is, I have not seen it. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> is that a hint? <laughs> uh, so many options. They're not really Attack pets. The, They're not really talking well, about Attack of the Clones is a prequel, so that wouldn't apply. We probably shouldn't guess because we're just going to wipe each other out because there's a limited pool of sequels. <laughs> That's true. Uh, because you see, the young wrap themselves around the. Oh, never mind. It's Wrath of Khan. <sighs> God. Lame. Boo! We're going to Star Trek already. All right, yeah. <laughs> Get it out of the way, I guess. Does anyone know? It's bad. It's Dingus, though. So. It's nothing good coming at me. Go ahead, explain it, Dingus. Why is Wrath of Khan better than the... Didn't Ray Wise do the first Star Trek movie, by the way? Yes, he did. And he is did it bad? It. I haven't seen it in forever. Is it bad? Or is it just Wrath of Khan is so good? It's, in it. it's not bad, it's just... Difficult. The actual um, it's bad. The, the topic is that is sequels we liked better, mm-hmm. right? Well, so mm-hmm. this no. this came. I'm sorry. No, it wasn't that. He just said sequels that are better. That's kind of an yeah. assume that sequels we liked. It's better. objectively better. Your opinion doesn't matter. <laughs> That's what I meant. But I, I, your, your case stands, thing. Let's go ahead. All right. Well. Well. So you know, Wrath of Khan comes comes out in 1982. And uh, the the motion picture comes out in 1979, maybe, um, which is after seeing Star Wars. And so you get taken to see a Star Trek movie, the first Star Trek movie with your dad after seeing Star Wars. And you're like, Star Trek movie? Yeah. And it's V'ger and a bald girl, and it's just interminable. It's an interminable. It's still going. I'm still watching that movie. <laughs> you're still and- Talking slow like they did in hyperspace in that movie. <laughs> and I, okay. that's very good, Gilliwan, actually. And, and I think there's a lot of people who love uh, the motion picture now, maybe, or who are apologists for it. But for a kid, it's just, oh, my gosh, what is going on in this movie? And who, who's the bad guy? Who's the bad guy in the motion picture? It's a gigantic 
brain? Who the hell is it? And so Wrath of Khan comes along, and there's a, a tangible bad guy who's great, and you can sink, sink your teeth into as a kid, and there's just a lot of pyrotechnics, and the music is fantastic. It's got a great pace to it. It's it's just so much more of an enjoyable experience, at least at that point, than watching the original. So this sequel meant so much more to me than the original. It was just such a relief. The part the part of the first movie where he's getting mad at Spock for taking a long time to contact Major. That part's funny. <laughs> so you're wrong. Good Fuck point. Con. Stupid oh. con. Well, the transporter part did really mess me up as a kid. Yeah, and it's rated G, that movie. See how fun ratings used to be when we were kids? You never G. knew what you would see. Is Wrath okay, of Khan the one where the bugs go in, in somebody's ear? Yeah. yeah. Scotty's ear. Those are the... Earth. No. What do they do to you? Chekhov? What do those bugs do to you? It's Chekhov and the uh, black dude. Those are the pets I was talking about in my quote. And what do they do? They eat your brain, or what? I mean, obviously he lived. What, what do those no, they, do? they wrap themselves around your ear, and then they 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 render the victim extremely susceptible to suggestion. They're like mind control bugs. Yeah, yeah. Good Lord. They, they wrap themselves around your your cerebral cortex, and then yeah, just, <laughs> exactly that that happens. I think it's how does the spaceship combat hold up these days? Yeah, how does it, uh, what's the distance to the, uh... <laughs> well, no, I'm seriously wondering, like, as as a guy who plays video games and who can appreciate, you know, spaceships blowing each other up, I know people speak fondly about Wrath of Khan. Do, do you know how well that holds up these days as far as, like, an action sequence? It's pretty bad, but it's it's disguised well. The badness is disguised well because it's in, as anyone who will listen to our 3 about storms, um, it's, it's mm. in a storm. And so it's not, there's no speed to it because the ships are hobbled. He can't think three-dimensionally because he's right. Spanish. It, but a lot more is done with music. I mean, the music in this in this film is fantastic, and and so no, the 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 space combat isn't that kind of space combat. It's not good. Okay. There's also the part where he screams Khan, like he's really upset. But you find out later he wasn't upset because he was gaming Khan. Is that true? Yeah. That that famous like sequence of his hair yeah. wiggling is actually him yeah. being disingenuous about something. Yeah, he's pretending to be. Mad. So Kirk, I mean, not necessarily, but he's really thinking. Yeah, I want that. I'm gonna eat that apple in a minute. So not necessarily Shatner. The laundry's but, done. Yeah, but but Kirk is a good actor. Yeah, he's better than Shatner. Wow, <laughs> that's some that's some pretty heavy stuff there. Okay. <laughs> Plus, uh, uh, who directed who directed Wrath of Khan by the Nicholas, Nicholas Meyer? Meyer? Who is that? He's the guy who wrote uh, the 7% Solution, and then he ah. did the sixth Star Trek movie. Like, it took him four more movies to go, wait, the one they like, we should use that guy again. Okay. He's Russ Meyer's that's brother. That's, that's not true. Is, is that true, Dingus? Because you, what you just told me, I would believe. Is that true? I don't know. Okay. I almost. I almost Gibson's brother. I don't believe that. Uh-huh. All right, I'm doing my number three. So my number three, actually all of mine, and it kind of worked out this way accidentally. This is the stupidest topic, by the way. Uh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> You're right. All of mine are, are a matter of a director not finding his voice, I think, until the second movie. Uh, 
because there are a lot of instances where another director takes over a franchise and adds a different twist, and, and the second movie's different or maybe better, and I tried to avoid that. And what I ended up with is, is a list of sequels that were all done by the same director who'd done a previous movie that that probably should have been what the second movie was. Oh, so my number three is actually, and I'm sure there's going to be some overlap here, but my number three is Evil Dead 2. Uh, the first Evil Dead is, is obviously like it's got this student picture quality to it. Uh, Sam Raimi doesn't really have consistent tone. There's the, it's, it's trying to be like scary and weird, and you can see these touches of almost inadvertent comedy. But it, it's Evil Dead 2 where he really hits this tone that he became known for. And, and both he and Bruce Campbell, by the way, are instrumental to this. Uh, and Evil Dead 2 is just so good and so funny. And, and I recently watched Evil Dead 3, which I just think is almost unwatchable. That just goes off yeah. the rails completely. So it's sort of interesting that in the second movie he finally hits his stride. And later on he does some great movies like that. But when he does Army of Darkness, the third Evil Dead, it just spins completely out of control. On the commentary, they actually talk about that. They go, why does this suck? And... Bruce Campbell goes, or no, Sam, one of the writers goes, I think it's because he's not interacting with the dead at all. That was it, their conclusion. An army of darkness? Yeah. Like, he's not he's not on screen with the zombies as much. It's really odd. It's a lot of stuff that would work if it was someone like Buster Keaton. Like, a lot of it is just straight-up slapstick. And as much as Bruce Campbell has this, this great sort of leading man persona, and he's kind of hammy, I just don't think it really works as well with him doing what they're having him do in, in Army of Darkness. The opening is kind of funny when he's a total dick. That's yeah, the thing is, yeah, but it, it goes on too long. And it jumps not much... the shark exactly 42 minutes into the movie. What happens at 42 minutes? It's when he starts riding the horse and the windmill, and then everything starts to suck <laughs> right after that. Yeah. But you know what? I think I almost picked Evil Dead 2, too, but then I thought, I, I, the first one's way better than you remembering it. Mm, you no. It again recently? It's got claymation in it, and it's it's kind of scary, and there's like, it's just got more gravitas, and he's super young in it, and he, it's like the first half of the movie, you think the blonde guy's the hero, because he's in it way more than Bruce is, so it's kind of some cool misdirection. Right. right. Yeah, but I don't think, I still think it, it's it's got... It just looks so chintzy, too. It looks yeah. so endearingly, yeah. awesomely chintzy and, like, I don't know. It's very rough-hewn in a way that's not self-conscious like I think Evil Dead 2 is. I, I don't think it has the self-awareness that Evil Dead 2 has. It's a Mad Max Road Warrior thing. Well, thanks for ruining my number two. <laughs> you didn't have no, to but, say it. But, Tom, uh, I'm curious, because of wh- how you set this up, why are you willing to lay the success of this at the feet of the director who messed up the first, or or, or hadn't, uh, excuse me, hadn't found his voice yet, and then later reverted to form, maybe, and, but in this particular one did? Why Why is that the director? Why do you Why do you focus on that? Did you... Look at, I mean, is it, are there different writers or is there anything else or why is it just the director? Well, I'm pretty, I mean, Evil Dead 2 is kind of a remake of Evil Dead 1. Uh, I, I think they're both written and directed by Sam Raimi and they both feature Bruce Campbell in, in leading roles and the same basic storyline, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so it just feels like he's sort of taking a do-over almost. Uh-huh. Um and and later, Sam Raimi, you know, Darkman and stuff like that. And I, I'm kind of into the Spider-Man movies somewhat. Like, I, I, I think he's got a healthy sense of how much humor isn't too much. And, and there's there's a good sense of that in Evil Dead 2. Like, Evil Dead 2 
is funny and outrageous without trying to be funny, I think. And there's really none of that in the first Evil Dead. Like, the first Evil Dead doesn't have much of a sense of humor. And that, that's really, I think, a fundamental part of what makes later Sam Raimi so good. Um, no, the part where he goes, Scott, snap out of it. He keeps slapping him. That's pretty funny. In Evil Dead 1? No, yeah. Scott. Well, like, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe I should see that again. I just don't. It, I don't remember. It the first one was written just by way. Sam Raimi. Evil Dead Two was Sam Raimi. We well, got his brother. Oh, oh. The okay. third one was Sam and Ivan Raimi. Yeah, yeah. So there's your problem. It's a machete kind of situation with like with Robert Rodriguez bringing the whole family in. Well, that was exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point actually. Well, right, it's Kelly, interesting. I mean, do you do you consider Evil Dead Two when you talk about sense of humor? Do you would you go into camp? Mm, I'm trying to think. Well, like the eyeball flying in the girl's mouth. Like I, I don't know if that's camp. Like camp to me is much more sort of nudge, nudge, wink, wink at the camera. And there's yeah. plenty of that in Army of Darkness. So, no, compared to Evil Dead 3, I would say no, not at all. Uh, more like black humor, I guess. Well, so will Evil Dead 4, the inevitable Evil Dead 4, be the best one or the worst one? I don't think. Well, is, is, there, is there really any such thing in the works? There's vague talk that'll never materialize. Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, but now Sam Raimi's a little free, you know, because that World of Warcraft thing was never going to happen. That was well, that I don't face. I mean, I think if you want to look at what Sam Raimi would do with an Evil Dead, it's going to make an Oz movie. I think if you want to look at what he would do with Evil Dead Four, just watch Drag Me to Hell, uh, which I didn't care for. No, it, uh, in the original ending, Army Darkness, Bruce is in the future at the end, so it'll be. <laughs> like a Jason X or whatever the one is where Jason goes to the future. Huh, okay. But this is actually pretty exciting yeah. to me, the way you're going with this, Tom, because the, the idea that, that you sort of consider it almost a remake um, and how, how he gets it right from one to the other and it's the same director is fascinating to me. How many, uh, how many years... Between the two of them, it's a very good question. I, I don't know. I'm I'm completely ignorant, and that's why I'm saying this. I've only seen the second one that I remember, um, and so it's it's fascinating to me that that the same director can can appeal to you tonally on such a different level, and 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 I really like that. I I like the the way you're going with this, and so I'm trying to sort of suss this out a little bit. I mean, how much time between the two of them? So the first one is 1981. Kelly Wan, when is the second one? 87. It was the first movie I was carded at. It was awesome. And so, I came in a little late, and it looked like it took up right after the first movie ends, because, like, the thing was chasing him around the house. So I missed, like, the beginning where you find out he's just remaking the story. So, yeah, there's a long period there, but Evil Dead 1 was based on a student film he did where he plays around with a lot of the stuff where he's running the camera through the woods. Uh, that was, like, a few years before Evil Dead. Then he gets a bigger budget. He makes Evil Dead. I don't know what happens that it's, you know, seven years later that he makes Evil Dead 2. Um, but it's a sense of, you know, I think a director... They made Crime Wave. That's what happened. That, the Coen Brothers movie. And it, it, oh, it he, got, he got a sense of humor between ah, them. No wonder. Right. Joel and Ethan whipped him into shape. <laughs> and vice versa. It was great for everyone. All right, Kelly Wan, what is your number three movie that... Uh, uh, thanks for ruining it by saying Jason X. Uh, <laughs> which I guess proves that Jason... So Freddy versus Jason was meaningless. That never was part of canon, was it, Tom? I don't think there's. I don't think you can talk about canon in any of those slasher movies in the same breath. It just doesn't work. 
Not even the Nightmare on Elm Street movies? I thought those were all one story. I, I don't I mean, I can't imagine that, that, that uh, all of those fit together very well. I don't know. Doesn't each movie have a new backstory? I don't know. Is that is that one yeah, of Yeah, because the Dream Warriors... Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> all right, my number three is Dark Knight. Okay, Dingus's turn. What, wait, I thought Jason X was your number three. <laughs> no, I was kidding. I didn't see that one. It's the one I haven't seen. Well, Dark Knight's another great example. I mean, that's my number one of a, of a director. And I love Christopher Nolan, but with Batman Begins, that was just kind of an origin story. And I, I you know, whatever, superhero stuff, blah. Uh, but it, I, I really felt like he and Jonathan Nolan didn't really tap into, like, what what makes a great superhero movie until they did Dark Knight. Uh, the difference between Batman Begins and Dark Knight is, is, is huge to me. See, the Nolans are a reverse machete. It's only good when they do work together. Oh, because yeah, Jonathan Nolan didn't write Batman Returns, did he? He wrote Dark Knight. Right, right, right. Batman I, Begins. Batman Begins, well, what right, I, right. What I was wondering is what, what we could consider the original. When I was thinking about Dark Knight, it was, do I have to go back to Tim Burton? Yes, you do. But you it's have to go back to Adam West, and because that way you can say Batman Begins is a better sequel. I mean, I, what I, what I was trying to figure out is it's not seconds, it's sequels, and what is the actual original of that? Not that that really matters for this when you're talking about The Dark Knight, but well, there's all this idea of rebooting too. I mean, this is a whole different Batman than the the one that Tim Burton originated, which is also different from the one that was in the Adam West series, which is also different from the comics. Uh, um, so. Chris O'Donnell was so great as Robin. That was so awesome. <laughs> Nipples. Right. So Dark Knight, good, good. Number three, Kelly Wand. Uh, I think it's want to talk. What is your number two movie that's better than the uh, sequel? It's better than the original Dingus. Uh, should I bother with a quote, or should we just go right into the movie? Give me a quote, because I'm going to get this one. All right, here we go. Okay. Is it is it true what they're saying? He's some kind of vampire? Uh, Lost Boys 2, Loster? Blade 2? No. But you liked Blade, Blade Trinity. 2. Blade 2 is good, isn't it? It's not, it's, not not, last... it's not either of those. Uh, vampire. Twilight, the new... <laughs> moon. <laughs> Dingus is busted for liking the Twilight movies. Oh crap! You got me. Uh, I give up. What is the What is the vampire movie where the second one is better than the first? Uh, it's not a vampire movie. The response line is they don't have a name for what he is, and so it's not about a vampire at all. It's it's uh, a little movie called Silence of the Lambs. Ugh. But that uh, yeah, no no no. Epic fail. Red Dragon, though, is, I guess it's, well, if, if you're just counting That's a Thomas cool. Harris novels. Go ahead, guys. Go ahead. You guys go ahead and talk about Red Dragon. How, which one have you read it? Well, the thing is, Manhunter is no, based no. on, Manhunter is Michael Mann doing Thomas right. Harris. And then right. we get Jonathan Demme doing Thomas Harris. And then later on, isn't it Brett Ratner who directed Red Dragon? Actually, It is, I, it is Brett Ratner. You're right. Oh, good Lord. Ew. So I guess those are all, but are they sequels? I guess they're sequels. I don't know. They all have Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, Silence he's of, saying... Silence of the Lambs is a sequel to Manhunter, whether you like it or not. And for people who are fans of those books, uh, just because Thomas Harris takes a decade to write a book <laughs> uh, doesn't mean it's not a sequel. And it was 
It was excruciating for those of us who really loved Red Dragon and even liked Manhunter to wait for Science of the Lambs to come out. And Science of the Lambs was marketed as the sequel to that book, even if it wasn't the sequel to that novel. Or, I mean, the sequel to that movie. Um, wait, know, explain the difference there. What, what, it, was more, it was marketed as a sequel to the movie, but not the book? I'm, well, I'm well, a little I, lost. I, I might be wrong about that. That might be a, a poor way to put that. It's just that I re- I remember because I had just read Red Dragon right. and was so excited to read and see the movie Silence of the Lambs that it was clear to me that those were sequels. I'm, if you read Red Dragon and Silence of the Lambs, those books are are of a piece. Okay, so I'm confused now because what what does Red Dragon have to do with Manhunter? Manhunter is an adaptation of Red Dragon. It is, but okay. but and there's been another adaptation of. A Red Dragon called Red Dragon, right? But but the original adaptation of Red Dragon was called Manhunter, and it was made by Michael Mann. Um, and it's there are a lot of people who love who love Manhunter more than even Silence of the Lambs. Um, Brian Cox really is good in it. Yeah, he's great. He's a great lector. And they're different takes. They're completely different takes as far as art direction are concerned and and where they're, where lector is housed and, and how that, that whole idea is concerned. Those are completely different. It's sort of Miami Vice versus... Uh, <laughs> So, so th- these are completely different ideas. Is Tom uh, Harris's take in the book more like what Jonathan Demme did in Silence of the Lambs? Like, like what, that whole idea of Hannibal Lecter having to be strapped to a dolly and having a hockey mask. Is that like a, a, a cinematic invention, or is it like that in the books? I think that his book, Silence of the Lambs, is... Uh, I should say this differently. I, I, and I, I've said this previously. The adaptation that Jonathan Demme did is much more faithful to the book than the adaptation Manhunter is to Red Dragon. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that Manhunter isn't a good film, but it feels like a different film than the book. And I, I remember having read the book and feeling very strongly about it, and then having seen the film and feeling like I was watching something that was very different in feel, and in especially as far as the art direction was concerned. Right. And the Red art- Dragon, doesn't the wife kill Dollarhide with a fishing pole at the end? What? You can't kill someone with a fishing pole. That's absurd. I know. The wife's into it. The wife's part of it with a fishing pole. I don't believe that because I don't think there's any possible way to kill someone with a fishing. Would she stick it in his eye or something? The fishing well, the pole. hook part, not the fishing pole part. I've gotten fishing fish hooks stuck in me. Part. I've gotten a fishing hook stuck in me. That doesn't kill you. Right now, I got a little Frenchman in me. <laughs> Mike, Michael Mann brings a, an entirely different sensibility to it. But when you're reading, if you read Silence of the Lambs, you almost get a feeling that you're watching a treatment. Or you're reading a treatment of the film. If you if you if you've watched the film mm. and you read Silence of the Lambs, you get a sense that those two things have um, are, are holding hands, and you do not get the sense of that with Red Dragon and Manhunter. All of that said, um, I I will view these as a sequel, and I'm willing to do that because this category because this category is ridiculous. Uh, sorry, Kelly wants, and and I think that Silence of the Lambs is a far better made film than Manhunter and it's a film that I think is a much better sequel than the original. So Kelly Wand, Dingus' number one is going to be Hannibal is better than Silence of the Lambs. It's way better. (laughs) Uh, I never watched the film because the Hannibal book is utterly unreadable. It's terrible. You didn't see Hannibal the movie? Yes, I did, but I'm not willing to watch it again. 
<laughs> He's only going to see it once, and that's it. Damn it. <laughs> The book, the book is it, it. It smacks of of. We don't want to wait another decade for Thomas Harris to write a book, so we're going to hire somebody else to write like Thomas Harris writes, and we're going to pay him off. That's what it feels like. It, it is so poorly written, and the characters are so betrayed. It's horrible. It's horrid. Hmm. <laughs> Plus, sounds rate. fun to me. All right, uh, my number two, uh, as we all know, is Road Warrior. Uh, I haven't seen Mad Max in forever, but good Lord, I just remember it just being so drawn out, and it, it doesn't have any of what makes Road Warrior, I think, so good. That, that whole, the pacing and this, the kinetic sense of, you know, the way this, the action scenes are strung together and the character motivation. Uh, wait, wait, hold on. What was your number three, Tom? Uh, Evil Dead 2. All right, sorry. All right. Yeah. We already know all of yours. Right, right. Kelly? It's I really well. Yeah, I blame him too. <laughs> uh, so, I, because I, Kelly wanted, how does how does Mad Max hold up? Have you seen it recently? Yeah, it's awesome. I kind of like it better than Road Warrior. If I've seen it last, yeah, because it's got I don't know, it's just more of a mood piece. And Road Warrior's got some stuff in it that's a little swishy. Well, that, it's, that's just how people dress in a post-apocalypse. That's not their fault. Uh, yeah, but the bad guys in Mad Max are more. Ridiculous. They're they're about yeah. as ridiculous. They're about as ridiculous as the swishly dressed bad guys in Road Warrior. And besides, it was the '80s. That's just how people dressed. If there were to be an apocalypse <laughs> in the '80s, that would be that would be the fashion sense would be frozen at that point. It makes perfect sense. Mel's so, also dubbed in it, so his voice is all weird. In Mad Max, right? Yeah. Uh, in Road Warrior, it's real. But by the way, you guys want to hear my Mel Gibson impression from Road Warrior? Yes. <laughs> so I'm watching a, uh, a Stuart Gordon film recently called uh, King of the Ants, which is terrible. It looks like it was shot on with some little handheld camera. By the way, Jim McKenna. Is that the name of the guy who was the detective in Devil? No. Does anyone remember? Who is Jim McKenna? Anyway. I thought that was Mark Ruffalo. My uncle's name is Jim McKenna. Uh, you guys are no help. Anyway, so I'm watching this this horrible Stuart Gordon movie called Empire of the Ants, which is about a guy who uh, gets hired to murder someone, and then he does it, and so they don't have to pay him. The people who hired him, they abduct him, they wrap foam around his head, and once a day they come in and they whack him with a golf club until he's literally, uh, no, until he's basically brain damaged. Uh <laughs> And uh, that's that's the premise of the movie, and it becomes sort of a revenge drama. But it's terrible, and one there's an old there's a henchman in it. Like there's a couple of henchmen to the main bad guy, who's George Went. And when your main villain is George Went, I mean that's Ugh. yeah, you can imagine that. So <laughs> he's into our fears. <laughs> so he's got two. Uh, actually, he's he he and uh, one of the lesser bald ones are the main villains. But he's got they've got two henchmen, one of whom is this really old Australian dude. And the movie's over, and it's terrible, and I'm watching the credits roll. And the, the old Australian dude henchman, Vernon Wells, who, if you're not a Road Warrior fan, you, may, you might not realize, was Wes, the motorcycle riding guy with the mohawk, who was so awesome in uh, Road Warrior. Uh, so that guy's still working. I was so tickled to see Vernon Wells' name. Mm. So there you go, my number two, Road Warrior, way better than Mad Max. Uh, far more consistent. Dingus hasn't seen it. Um, no. What? I know. What? How about that? Which one hasn't he seen? Either, I, I don't guess. Dingus, have you seen Beyond Thunderdome, at least? I've seen none of them. All right. You have. I don't believe a word of this. <laughs> <laughs> you have a dick you've seen Road Warrior. Jesus. 
Uh, I've got news for you. Whoa. <laughs> All right, Kelly, what is your number two uh, sequel that's better than the original? Already back to me. Mm-hmm. Oh, mine's another Mel one. That's your hint. Lethal Weapon 2. All right, Dingo, yeah. what is your number one? <laughs> My number one's the most fun. Uh, wait, wait, is Lethal Weapon 2 really yours, Kelly Wand? Yeah, it's a good one. It's way better Le- than the first one. Lethal Weapon is a classic. Are you kidding? No, how is, how is Lethal Weapon 2 better? Yeah, Kelly. He does the thing with the house and the dislocated shoulder, and uh, he smokes, and um, the girl gets killed, which is sad. And uh, Joe Pesci's in it, getting beat up a lot, and yeah, diplomatic immunity's in it, and uh, they make you think he's going to die at the end because the song is playing, but then he doesn't die. And oh yeah, and. Uh, the toilet is has a bomb in it. <laughs> Diggis, you got a lot to answer for. I'd like to hear your rebuttal now. That's Here's way more rebuttal. First movie's got that stupid thing in the desert where the daughter's driving. That's not right. good. Dingus, what's your rebuttal? Dingus has a rebuttal, Kelly Wand. Let's hear him out. <laughs> wow. All right. That settles that. <laughs> I guess Dingus wins. That's true. The Lethal Weapon 4 is really good. All right, here's my rebuttal. You ready for this, Kelly Wand? That's what I have to say about that. Dingus, what is your number one uh, sequel that is actually better than the original movie from which it's drawn? And um, that was it. What did you guys think? (laughs) Casino is a sequel to Goodfellas for the purposes of discussion. I'm putting that as your number one. Okay. Rocky Balboa. <laughs> All right, Dingus, over to you. What, what do you got for us as your number one? This is my favorite because this is the perfect one for this category. It's the, this is the perfect. Oh God, this is do the it. perfect one. I'm so excited. I know he's going to do it. I, I knew someone would do it this podcast, and I knew it would be Dingus. Go ahead, mention Empire Strikes Back. Go ahead. Do you guys want to guess? Do you want to guess what it is? It's Empire Strikes Back. We know Dingus. We already know. Say Empire Strikes it's Back, and we'll be done. Incredible Hulk. <laughs> you, I'm almost certain that the way Kelly Wand couched this topic was uh, was sequels that you like better than the original, not were better films than the no, original. Go back and listen to the bad. Either one works. They both work, though, I think. So go ahead and no, say they, Empire they, Strikes Back, Dingus. Go ahead and say it. You, they they don't work. No, they don't work when it comes. I mean, that's actually the, the point. They don't work when it comes to something um, like Empire Strikes Back. They don't work. You don't think Empire Strikes Wait, first of all, I was. are you really going to pick that dingus? You're really going to go there? No, You're going to open with Give Star Trek. Give him some credit. He's going to open with no, Star Trek and close with Star Wars. There's no Star Wars ever in a 3x3. There's, everybody knows that rule. But when there is, it's always dingus. So dingus, seriously, is that where you're going, Empire Strikes Back? Because everybody knows it's better. I'll give you a buck if he doesn't. Wait, if he does. Because <laughs> I'm almost positive he didn't do that, because that would be silly. All right. Let's see who's silly, yeah. won't we? Think it's my a dollar richer or not? Um, you're not going to be a dollar richer. Uh, <laughs> he's only changing his mind to grief him. He was told. No. Me, I'll bet there's a piece of paper at his house right now that has number one Empire Strike. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I write. That's my writing voice. You got my. You nailed my writing. That's what your. Yeah. That's what your font looks like. He types with no. his notes. <laughs> My number one is so much more exciting to me than any Star Wars could have been. Oh, great. He's picked Midnight Run. 2010. <laughs> Give us a line, Dingus. All right, Beverly Hills Cop, the one where he goes to the amusement park. 
Crocodile Dundee and all ten of us. Just guess all sequels. Go, Kelly Wand. <laughs> ben. Give us your line. Go ahead. Give us your line. Here it is. Uh, someday the children of the new son will meet the children of the old. I think they will be our friends. What? Hmm. What the heck is that? When he does lines, I never know what he's talking about. Uh, the new son. I don't. I, uh, he, Wait, it's not 2010. It is 2010. That. La la la. Uh, no, that's retarded. Let's Kelly Wand, you, first of all, you asked for this, Kelly Wand, so go ahead, Dingus, get him. I don't believe he believes what Look what saying. you've unleashed. No, this is your own doing, oh, Kelly Wand. This is your own doing. You've been hoisted by your own he, card. Now, yep. he's thinking Empire Strikes Back. You're hoisted, Kelly Wand. Hoisted. Hoisted. It's a, it's a faux hoist. There I it, is, it is so 2010, and I'm just going to rub oh. it in. 2010, Peter Hyams. I picked, a Peter, I picked Peter Hyams over Stanley Kubrick. Ugh. Suck it. Fuck it. You're also picking Jupiter over Saturn, because in the first movie it's Saturn. So the That's whole right. movie does not canon. You know why? Size matters. <laughs> no matter what they say to you, it does. <laughs> you just said the tagline for Godzilla. <laughs> oh, gee, uh, a movie without apes is better than a movie with apes in it. Well, you have to understand, I saw it in 1984 in a theater. It was gee, 2010. Dolphins. And Helen Mirren is a hot woman, and there's dolphins right. in somebody's house. Yeah. Dolphins in somebody's house. Ah, oh, I love that movie when I went to see it. Wait a minute. Why are there dolphins in somebody's house? Too. Hold on. Why are there dolphins in somebody's house? Because it's the future. It's way in the distant future, 2000. Like as pets? Yeah. 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 That's weird. They have. Okay. They, they go in their house, and the dolphins swim up and talk to Roy Scheider and his son. Was That's the great. doctor uh, Charles Martin Smith? Was he Dr. Chandler? Oh. It's Bob Balaban. <laughs> the other Charles Martin Smith. Uh, <laughs> I liked that uh, movie when I saw it, too, but come and on. John Lithgow's in it, oh. and uh, yeah. Yakov, Yakov Smirnoff. He's funny. Like I love his stand-up. Yeah, and, and they, they have a great thing where it's like, it's a piece of uh, pie. It's easy as cake, you know. Oh, those are great. Those are great. I love that. And Roy Scheider talks about how hot dogs are cooked at Yankee Stadium all year long. Ah, 2010 is so much better than 2001. It's so superior. Peter Peter Hyams, FTW. Uh, Does 2010 have a rogue AI subplot? Like, is that part of 2010, the whole HAL thing? Dave, excellent question. But now he he goes sane and saves everybody. Is that right, Dingus? HAL HAL is... Or sacrifice. Go ahead, Dingus. What now? HAL is Sal. There's a Sal. There's a girl computer. Is that true? So You're lying. It's much more progressive. You're totally lying. <sighs> and we find out that it was the government's fault because they, you know, they blew it up. Damn you. Uh, now you're doing Planet of the Apes. I know that. But it, it, so Hal is really turned into a girl in 2010? I don't no. remember any of this. No, Dr. Chandra um, has created Sal to figure out what went wrong with Hal. And then when he goes up, for the he you know Sal is the new computer that he's working with. I mean I haven't seen this film since 1984. <laughs> There's uh, no Sal. That doesn't happen. You're high. Yes, I am high. I'm so high. And when you go back and watch 2010, you're going to say, "Oh, there is a Sal." <laughs> um, and Sal, Sal helps him figure out what went wrong with Hal. That that Hal was asked to do something that he could not do, and that's why. I mean, the the, the awful thing about 2010 is that it totally explains. 
explains away what happens to Hal. But it's for a kid watching an action film, a space film, it's much more exciting. Let me ask you this, Dingus. Is the spaceship combat in 2010 better than Wrath of Khan? Um, it's more, it's, it has four dimensions to it, so it's, <laughs> it's more dimensional, and yeah, so I would have to say yes. Okay. All right, 2010, suck it, Kelly Wan, see, that's what you get. That's what you get. You laid yourself bare for that, you got your just desserts. Just like the guy at the end of Mad Max gets chained to the car before it blows up, you get slapped with a 2010 is better than 2001. There you go. Now you can saw your own hand off with a hacksaw. Dingus is like a monkey that hasn't touched the monolith. (laughs) Well, I've touched the monolith. (laughs) Rooney Mara. So we know my number one. It's Dark Knight, which Kelly Wan stole for his number three. So, uh, Kelly Wan, we now go on to your number one sequel that is actually better than the original. Hard to believe, but what do you got for us? Okay, I'll do a quote from it. Mm -hmm. Superman, look out. <laughs> um, oh, waiting, is it from the Waiting for Superman documentary? Uh-huh. Yeah. And is it because no. of Terrence Stamp, Kelly Wand? No, that's not what it really is. That's a fake quote. Oh. My, my real number one is more controversial. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man 3. <laughs> that's right. The third one, nobody liked. I thought it was fine. That's the... It's funny. That was fine. Yeah, sure. Okay. You're not going to well, everyone the jump. second one. Everyone says the second one's the good one. The third one's the shark jump, and then that's when things got. That's when Raimi and uh, Sony started deciding they weren't on the same page anymore because they wanted movies every six weeks, and he was all, "Uh, but they'll turn out like this." But you know what? The third one is the most Raimi Spider-Man movie ever. He finally let us out his inner Raimi. It's the evil so that do. It's the Dark Man of the Spider-Man movies. It's the for yeah. the love of the game of all the Spider-Man movies. It's the Tin Cup. <laughs> uh, that's the one with Thomas Hayden Church. Who's the other villain? Because there's two of them. Oh, is, is it James Franco being the Green Surfer dude? He's a villain, and then also uh, what's Green the guy? Surfer. Green Surfer. That's his name. I love that. <laughs> He cuts off his arm. Who's the other guy? So there's, aren't there multiple? So it's James Franco, Thomas so Hayden Church. So yeah, oh yeah, great. there's Black Spider-Man. Right, right, right. Yeah, I and like that one. There's girls in it, and Elizabeth Banks is in it, and the two girls, and then there's also the landlady. There's like a zillion fucking characters. <laughs> I kind of like that. If you if you can't do a Dark Knight, just throw a bunch of characters at the screen. Just blah, 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 blah. That's, that works for me. Black Spider-Man, yeah. Green Surfer. Sand dude, you know, just uh, chicks. The second one, there's all those things like he loses his powers and Aunt May has money problems. Neither of those get resolved ever or explained or like, it's just like, all right, anyway. That's just like life. Just like life. But (laughs) in the third one. Tom, you have no bearing on this conversation since you've already disqualified Spider-Man 2 in a previous 3x3. How did I disqualify? So you're you're biased. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just agreeing. I can agree with Kelly Wan, though, can't I? That's, That's okay, isn't it? In the last Kelly Wan thing, you said that that was a movie everybody loved that you hated, right? Me? Yeah, Spider-Man 2. 
Oh, oh. But wait, everybody loves Spider-Man 2? Is that true? I don't know. I can't keep track yeah. of what everybody likes. It is. Okay. No. Spider-Man 2 is far superior, and so I want to hear Kelly Wan actually defend it, and Tom, you can't in- be involved because you already said you hate it. Spider-Man 2? That's the one I don't like either. Yeah, I don't, I don't know who you're... I think yeah, you're so mistaking tell us. Why. Tell us. Tell you why we hate it? It's far superior. It's 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 a great... To change. what? To oh. Spider-Man well, that's enough. That. Oh, oh, so a chick flick makes a movie good. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Tell that, to, uh, tell that to the Reese Witherspoon preview I saw tonight with right. uh, Paul Rudd and Owen Wilson being dumb. So here's another thing. Dingus would probably argue, because he has a predilection for chick flicks instead of dude flicks, as he's demonstrating with his Spider-Man 2 versus yeah, Spider-Man 3. I don't know what he's talking about. Dingus probably prefers Deep Impact to Armageddon. Ha uh-huh, because babies get held up at the end. <laughs> on a motorbike. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But real quick, so Dingus, you really feel that Spider-Man 2, you prefer, because they don't, I'm just not, a, they don't make a huge impact on me, but you really feel that the second one is better than the third one? No, it's far better. Because uh, why? It's more about characters and less about just throwing flashy villains at the screen or whatever? Spider-Man 2 is actually very, very good. I don't know what the two you're talking about. Spider-Man 3 oh. is a turd fest. Turd fest? That's no a, way. Yeah, that's a word we reserve for Paul Haggis scripts, Dingus. Let's oh, not yeah, let's you're not right. Right. carry it away. The, uh, oh. French waiter is awesome. Which one has the upside-down kiss? That's the first dumb one. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, but that is the first movie. It's the first Spider-Man? Is that true? Yeah. yeah. Okay. An iconic... Kind of like... Uh, forget it. <laughs> All right. The second one's so boring and so predictable and so weak. I like Doc Ock, but the third one's just more vivacious. And Sam Raimi just doesn't give a shit in it. He's just like, all right, here's your damn movie. You got to go. And you know what? And that's That's exactly exactly what what it looks like. (laughs) Yeah, but you know what? That's – well, never mind. That's – that's more closer to the source material than the second one. The second one's trying to make a real movie out of out of nothing, out of garbage. And the third Imagine one... Imagine a director doing that. That's weird. <laughs> but it's the same movie as every other superhero movie. The third one's not like any superhero movie. It's goofy. It's crazy. It's wild. Unlike those Batman movies that tried to overload us on villains because they didn't have anything else to well, do. Well, that's... Uh, it's the love at first bite of the Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, in Spider-Man 3, can you see, yes, with his suit, can you see his nipples? Uh, the Flash can speed talk. <laughs> <laughs> so nice. All right, Dingus, what is next week's 3x3? Three three? Because, good Lord, you've got, boy, you, you can't possibly uh, live down to this week's. So I can't wait hey, to see what you got. Hey, I didn't break the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you have a good point, yeah. Made it unlistenable for... <laughs> yeah, will your will your 3x3 three three dingus tear the fabric of space and time like mine did? It will not. It might tear our souls, and it, and it will definitely annoy you because it's got that squishy feeling that a lot of mine do. <sighs> uh, here comes the desert island. <laughs> These are the top three movies three if best- you were trapped in a closet that you would watch. Three best kisses on your iPod. <laughs> Well, Tom's come out of that closet, so he... Whoa! I... Fun. Hooray right, for this, this, this category is about religion. I need a little spirituality. Right and this is this is a category I've had on my shelf for quite a while, and I've been waiting for something 
to happen that we watched that would inspire me to put it into play. But uh, now I just want to put it into play because I'm tired of it being on deck. And so um, I'm really interested in and I'm not going to name any any movies, not going to take anything off the table, but I'm going to actually I'm going to push you guys. I I want you to consider the word um, sincerity here because I, I want moments where religion is used where it feels sincere, where where the, your most sincere moments of religion, and if you want to extend it to something like spirituality, that's okay. But but I, I, but I'm looking for you know, and and Kelly actually mentioned a, a couple of weeks ago a, a movie uh, that was that's near and dear to me that he hates uh, and that touches on this, and and that's all I'm going to say about it. Uh, You're going to tell us what it is. You know, no, because that might be one of the ones that I end up using. Well, wait, that doesn't help uh, to bring it up and not tell us what you're talking about, jerk. All right, then I'll bring it up and I'll I'll go ahead and take it off the table. And it's it's the movie The Mission, and it's it's ah. a movie that that Kelly and and I apparently really disagree on because The Mission is a movie that really touched me deeply, um, and I haven't seen it in maybe ten, fifteen years, or maybe not even that long, but I don't remember a lot of details, but I don't, I can't imagine why Kelly would think it was just, he, he seemed to dismiss it. Mm-hmm. Why it would be dismissive. So uh, I'm interested in you fellas looking at moments and, and I do this a lot, but I, not just scenes, but, but even a gesture or a line or a look where, where you get a sense of, of the character and the actor understanding what religion means to this character mm-hmm. and in in a sincere and real way. Now, can you... So, does George Burns count? <laughs> you could use that. I think it's, can you squeeze it? So, so three moments of religious sincerity, like with that? I'm just trying to sort of distill it down into something that can mull over, over the course of the week. Does that work? Well, what, what I, what, if you, if you were to distill it into sort of a, of a, of a, of a, just a tagline, mm-hmm. I would say your your three most sincere uses of religion ah. in a, a moment or scene, okay. or in a scene or by an actor. So your most sincere uses of religion. Okay, good. So so not just sort of the 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 standard. I'm sitting in a confession booth and and I'm just a cop getting a, a bit of information, but a real understanding and sincerity. Mm-hmm. Good. Kelly Wan, do you have any questions? Cop sitting in a what? Confession booth? <laughs> uh, what was the movie with Arnie versus the devil? End of Days by who? End of Days. That? Okay, thank you. With Robin Tunney. Yeah. Peter Hyams. With Peter Hyams? Yeah. Yeah. The, the rich five. man Stanley Kubrick. I don't think that movie had a shred of sincerity, though. Peter so. Hyams' sequel to Dr. Strangelove is amazing, too. What? I'm not even going to entertain believing that for a moment. Uh, all right, so next week, join us for that. Uh, next week, we will be seeing Due Date. Uh, join us for due that. Uh, <laughs> it's funny if you say it that way, Due Date. You could, you could, due yeah. date. You could do fun Whoa. things with that. You just blew my mind. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian McGrosky. Christian McGrosky. Uh, it's my favorite. It's Christian Morosky. Oh, that. I was so close that time. Uh, and also Kelly Wand. Also zapped again. People are strange when you're a stranger. Faces look ugly when you're alone. 
Listening to me say this, feel free to follow Facebook on quarter to three dot I, HTTP tunes and on Twatter.